Hallelujah. You cannot tell God how much you love him and him not say, I love you back. Because we understand what he's done for us. Who can comprehend the, the goodness of God? Who can fathom the wonders of God? That this almighty God would love to share the keys of the kingdom with us. Hallelujah. And sometimes our, the prayer of our heart is many and the worries of our heart are many and, and, and we just need to come back and say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. What would make 12, fish, uh, 12 disciples, uneducated men, go to their death for someone? It's one thing that the disciples got murdered and slaughtered for, for Jesus. It's another thing for Peter. History tells us that Peter was crucified upside down and because I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. And Peter says to his wife, woman, live for Jesus. Sorry, die for Jesus like you lived for him. He didn't say, Lord, protect my wife. He says, if you're going to die, die with honor for Jesus. What would make someone do that? What would make someone like Matthew to get skinned alive on the side of a road? And it says it's taken three days for him to die. And everyone that came and laughed at him and mocked his God and mocked his Jesus. And they heard the gospel. He would preach the gospel when he was dying, skinned alive. Three days to die. What would make them do that? I could go on and on and on. What would make Paul preach the gospel and get locked up? We've whipped five different times. After the fifth time, you'd say, Lord, is there a better way? But whatever way God's planned it. See, a lot of people have gone before us and paid a price. And sometimes you might not have to pay the price they paid. But the price that you have to pay or the cross that he wants you to die on so you can live for him, that's your cross. That's someone else's cross. So you need to understand how much he loves you. And in the love of God that brings us to repentance. The goodness and the mercy of God. I pray tonight we can just go into another dimension in God. Another yielding in God that we can surrender just a little bit more of us because you know what I've been 20 years in the Lord and I still haven't fully surrendered but every day I die a little bit more amen every day I die a little bit more why so he can live if I die guess who lives he does in me hallelujah so father we thank you for tonight we love you tonight we worship you you get all the glory, you get all the honor, and you get all the praise. We're here for you. We are servants in your hand. But we thank you that you treat us not as slaves, but as sons and daughters. That you loved us. The value of something is how much you pay for it. So the Father valued us so much that he sent his son on the cross. Who can but point their finger on God and say, you don't love me? Who can point the finger on God and say, you don't love me? I'm not valued. He sent his only son. So, Father, we thank you for, for what you have done for us. We thank you for the cross. Thank you for the blood. We thank you that we can come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. So, Lord, I give you this night. It's your night. I don't even have to say that. You own it. You run it. It's yours. We get to participate 
in the move of God. And our Lord, I give you thanks for your goodness. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You can be seated. Thank you. I was going to keep going, but I forgot how to do announcements. Welcome. My name's Tony. If you don't know me, if you're one of the pastors here, kids, you can go off. You've been released. Remember, guys, if you're new here, the kids can go in there from as long as they're taller trained. And I pray the parents are taller trained. So we need to, we don't have two accidents. Um, toilets are outside, guys, if, if you're new here. Just a quick announcement. Downstairs, there's another church, so be respectful as we leave. I know it's hard. We get excited. We want to talk. But um, when we're finished, they're basically halfway through their service, and it gets a bit echoey downstairs, and we don't want to upset them. So just be mindful of that um, as we leave tonight. Um, I don't think I've missed anything. If I have, I apologize. Hallelujah. Well, thank you so much for attending, for being part of what God's doing on this planet, what's, what, what God is doing in our city, but more importantly, what's God doing in our own hearts. And tonight, I want to share a message that I probably haven't really shared before, but maybe in little bits and pieces, but God is establishing, establishing His church. The Bible says that the, God, Jesus will build His church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And as a young believer, I used to believe that God is building His church, meaning the body of Christ, the believers, and the gates of hell are not. I used to interpret that like, thank God the gates of hell is behind a gate and they, they can't get to us because God's building His church. But as I grew in the Lord, I realized that, no, 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 no. God will build His church in hell. He'll kick the doors down of the gates of hell and go into hell, into darkness and build his church. Amen? It's not in the safety blanket of, I'm in a church, I'm in a, in a Christian nation, I'm in a city. We were blessed today. We could come here today and we could um, enter to the building here. Nobody's facing us with a gun to try and shoot us. No one's telling us to stop preaching Jesus yet. Um, and we can come freely. But there's a lot of people around the world, brothers and sisters of ours, do get persecuted for coming to church, let alone preaching Jesus, let alone having the Bible. Um, so we are blessed. We don't say, oh, well, we're such bad Christians and they're such good Christians. No, what we say is we're blessed to be a blessing. Give, Take what God's given us and let's preach the gospel. Let's advance the kingdom. Amen? You know, we often say that, you know, um, God hasn't lost control of the world, and he hasn't. God is in full control. But his church on the, on the earth, the body of Christ, he's the head. And whatever you want to do in life as a Christian, as a believer, as a disciple of Christ, because the reality is you're all disciples of Christ. You're not the disciples. Just like I'm not the pastor in the, for you. I'm, I'm a pastor. Rabs is a pastor. We're under shepherds, under the shepherd. We're, we're, we're men of authority under authority. We all are part of the body. But to do something for the kingdom of God, you can't be outside the body. Are you with me? You can't be. If I'm, if I'm detached from the head, I will not function. 
Because if their head's not attached to the body, who knows that you can chop off my arm, I can still function. Chop off my legs, I can still function. I might not be able to walk, but I can get around. There's many functions I can do, but when you take my brain out, it's all over, red rover. Many would say I haven't got one, but praise God, look, I'm a miracle. But if you detach from the body, because the only way the church is growing on this earth is by the grace of God, amen? Because we Jesus the church and us have mucked it up, okay? So I'm, I'm not here to, to bag churches or church policemen. What I'm saying is that as far as, as long as we're part of the body and we're attached to the head, Jesus is the head, we'll be okay. But every function in the body of Christ, the church, has a place for it. There's a function for it. But we always have to be led by the Lord. Everything is due by the Lord. But I'm afraid that we come to a place sometimes because of our independence, because of our freedom, because of YouTube, because of the internet. We have so much access to information and we've got so much. We're bombarded day and night. You know, the Bible says in the latter days there'll be a famine and it won't be the famine of food. It won't be the famine of the word. Mate, you can go on TV and watch a thousand preachers, good and bad, but you can get the word. There's no shortage of Bibles. There's no shortage of Bible apps. There's no shortage of... There's a podcast, there's a million. So it won't be a famine for the word, it'll be a famine of hearing the word. In the last days, it says that they will gather themselves teachers so they can hear what their itching ears want to hear. Sometimes you might hear something you don't agree with. Go and search it with the Lord. Go search your heart and go search the word because maybe you don't like it because it's talking to you. There's some things I taught and believed many years in my early walk, not out of, uh, deception and not out of trying to lie but that's where I was at the time I have to repent of today because I don't believe that anymore because that wasn't truth but God is gracious in his love he allowed me to come on that path why? I was still attached to the body see if I detach from the body I've lost the nutrients of the body the heart pumps blood through your own natural body but if I put a, you know, a band-aid or a tie my finger for so long, guess what? I cut the, the blood supply. At some point, if I leave that for so long, there'd be no more blood and I could get... Finger fall off? Yeah, that'll do. So I need to be attached to the body. And the headship is Jesus, amen? But the Bible says he appoints prophets and apostles. You know, do you understand that today in the modern world, they believe the apostle and the prophet's gone. They believe the gifts of the Spirit are no longer. They believe healing is finished. They believe the Holy Spirit doesn't move anymore. So what have we got? Religion. Now God bless everyone who knows calls on the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless every church that preaches Jesus and, and Jesus Him crucified. God bless them. But hey, there's got to be more. And we've shut down the apostle and the prophet. So why have we got pastors? Because the apostle and the prophet is part of the fivefold. He said, oh, ordained prophet, apostles, prophets, teachers, preachers, and evangelists. Or pastors or shepherds, they call them. So we're going to talk about that going forward. But tonight I want to talk to you about how we can be led and guided by the Lord. But before we go there, and I, I, I didn't, this might take a couple of weeks to get, get out of my system, but I want to show you some, you know, who loves Psalm 23? Who, know, who doesn't know Psalm 23? <laughs> I'm Indian, first Christians, you don't know Psalm 23? I'm joking. I'm not putting anyone there, I'm joking. It's the common psalm. Who knows it? The Lord is my. I shall not. He makes me lie down in green. He leads me beside. 
He restores my or his. Oh, I got you now. I probably got it wrong. <laughs> let's go there. Psalm 23. I don't even know if I gave you that, did I? Let's go. Let's go what the Holy Spirit wants us to go. Tonight I want to share my heart. I want to share my heart when I came to salvation, how I had an issue with the Father, how God restored my heart to the Father, what he spoke to me about the Father. Because the Bible says, listen to this, Jesus said, I send you out to the disciples. And if they receive you, they receive me. If they reject you, then they've rejected me. Hear that? Because if they receive me, they receive the one who sent me. If they reject me, they reject the one who sent me. You can't have God without Jesus. Sorry. I get these people all the time, but they love God. They just don't understand the cross. Then you don't have the Father. Without the Son, you cannot have the Father. He says, I am the way, except through. So he's the door, is he not? So we're going to talk about the sheep gate, the sheep, when Jesus speaks. But with Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I wasn't going here, but let's go. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside. I want you to read it. He restores my. He leads me in the path of. For his name's sake. Ye I walk through the valley. Of Fino. For you are. For your rod and staff. He prepares a table in the presence. You anoint my head with oil. Surely. And I will dwell. It's a very common psalm. You hear it at funerals. You hear it at weddings. You hear it um, everywhere. But if you go back to the first verse. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. David's writing this. King David, who was a shepherd himself. So you could probably argue that David understood what a shepherd does because he was a shepherd. See, David, what he did in private showed up publicly later. See, what we do in private will affect us what we do publicly. See, we, especially in the ministry, and people want to get in the ministry, people want to get up here, they want to prepare three years for a, th uh, uh, th they want to pre um, prepare three years for a 30-year ministry. Jesus was 30 years to prepare for a three-year ministry. David, before he killed Goliath, he had to look after sheep, and he fought a bear and a lion. What he did privately with no one watching, no one patting him on the back, risked his life for his sheep, God could use him as a king to fight Goliath. See, the Bible says what you do in secret, God will reward you openly. But your heart is, what do you do in secret? What, we, what do we do in secret? Where is our heart to the Lord? Here, everyone looks good, smells good, tastes good. I mean, not tastes good, but smells good. Nice haircut, you got a nice beard there, you know, nice perfume. You need some deodorant. But anyway, so, but we all look good. So did the Pharisees. He goes, you look good on the outside, but inside you're full of dead man's bones. He called them whitewashed tombs. You know why he called them whitewashed tombs? Well, you know what whitewashed tomb means? They used to get buried, especially the rich ones, had tombs that were whitewashed, basically painted white or rendered white with some white. So they were nice. But inside, guess what? There was dead man's bones. And Jesus says, you're like, the, you're like your grave sites. You look nice on the outside, but you're full of dead man's bones. And David's talking about the first line. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. You can translate that, I shall not lack any good thing in the Hebrew. He didn't say, you shall not lack anything but money or food. He No, don't lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. Everything I need pertaining to life, the Lord will show me. If you read this whole psalm, like I said, Rab's got an awesome revelation on this. this. It's about the cross. It's about Jesus on the cross. It's about the wonderful things that Jesus did. But who knows that the Old Testament conceals what the New Testament so in hindsight, we can go to the New Testament because sometimes we're trying to fit Old Testament, Old Testament treasures and Old Testament principles and, into a New Testament reality, and sometimes it doesn't fit. This was before the cross, but we can go through the cross. But Jesus himself, Jesus himself revealed himself as the good shepherd. And we're going to read it tonight. And I pray you'll know why he said, I'll be in no lack. The first sentence, I shall not be in any want, any lack. I will no lack anything in my life. But is he your shepherd? Is he just your savior? Because some people have Jesus as savior, but not Lord. Some people believe that he's the Lord, but they don't really understand salvation. Some people know him as Jesus came and died for me because I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. And then they spend the rest of their time trying to work out their salvation through works. The Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, not to earn it, work it out. He's given it to you, now work it out. You know what that means? I'm not trying to get in the car and learn how to drive my car every day. I'm driving and I'm working it out as I drive. Too many people don't understand the cross. See, without a resurrection, the cross is useless. If Jesus goes to the cross and doesn't resurrect, what was the meaning? He died as a sacrifice but never rose. But without the resurrection, the cross is useless. But, the, but there is no resurrection without the cross. So when we talk about the cross, we talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Too many Christians are still at the death and haven't understood that he's risen. Amen. Come on. We're still worshiping and mourning a dead Jesus on the cross. Yeah, he rose, but we still he died on the cross for me. Sorrow hits my heart. But you know what? When he rose, he gave me freedom. Amen. He's not there anymore. He says, Mary, where are you? Mary goes, where are you? Where's my Lord? He goes, um, he says, where have you put my Lord? Mary, it's me, Jesus. She, she thought he was the gardener. He's risen, amen. He's risen, amen. So if death can't hold him, then what's stopping us? Because he lives in us, amen. So let's go through a journey today. We'll open up this parable in John chapter 10. And I promise I'll try to talk slow. We want to know why David, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he just didn't say, the Lord is my shepherd, I'm not in any lack, because he was a shepherd. Because David was limited, okay? He was a shepherd, but what does he mean by that? What revelation did he have? So I want to show you what the Lord shows us here tonight. I pray tonight we leave here thinking, I need to be part of the body. I need to be attached to the body. I need to serve the body. Because you're not serving one another only. You're serving the kingdom of God out there. I want to show you this. I'm not one for putting demands in that. Because see, the Bible says he leads us and guides us into all truth. The Holy Spirit. Here it says he leads you into pastures, green pastures. Leading someone. See, old shepherds in the Middle East would lead. They would walk and the sheep would just follow. 
If you go to the Western world, I think I shared this last week, they drive their sheep. They drive their cattle. They got dogs and they got, you know, they used to get horses and that and just, yeah, yeah, and, and push them. But in the Old Testament, in the, in the Old Middle East and even in the Oriental, they would sing to their sheep. They would name their sheep. They would have time in their sheep. And then they spoke, they whistled, they said anything. The sheep would just follow them. That's why he says he leads. See, if you feel like you're being pushed and kicked and whipped by God, sometimes you think, oh, I think that that's just us, not him, because that's not how he deals with us. Now, sometimes he might ask you to go on a seven-day fast and you feel like you're getting whipped. <laughs> but who knows that? When I, when I was 17, 18, I started working as a mechanic. I had to be at work at seven. And I was a hated waking up early. So if I knew that I lived at Westmead and Westmead, if I get up in those days, the M4 was just made. I thought it takes me exactly 14 minutes to get to work. So if I get up at 7.39, I've got time to get in the car and get to work on time. So I wanted that extra minute sleep. But my mum would wake me up at 6 and 6.30. Come on, get up. Yalla, move. Get up. It's time to go to work. And then my dad would get up and I'd get annoyed with him. I said, they're driving me. And my boss says, if you come late, I'm going to sack you. Everyone's on my case. Leave me alone. And to me, it was like they're driving me. They're, they're, they're pushing me. They're hurting me, like, you know. But as I got older, I started to get up early. I started to, then when I got married, I realized I have to get up. Next thing you know, I'm leading. And what I thought at the beginning was someone whipping me and kicking me and driving me was actually someone teaching me responsibility and maturity so I can lead one day. So sometimes if you feel the Lord's whacking you, disciplining you, hurting you, He never hurts us. But we feel like that sometimes. But as we mature, we understand, thank you for the discipline of the Lord. Thank you that now I can be led by Him. Because when sheep go astray, they either get a pull with, this, with the staff or they get a whack on the leg and get pulled back into order. These are sheep. So we've got to understand that wherever you're at at the moment, you need to understand that God's teaching us because He leads by example. See, Jesus doesn't say, forgive your brother 70 times 7 if He's not going to forgive you. Come on, somebody. He leads. So let's read this and let's see what we can unpack. Here we go. Most surely I say unto you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when they bring him out, bring his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will be by no means follow a stranger, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger or strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he was spoke about. So Jesus is telling a parable about sheep in the sheep pen. And he called them, hey, Tony. John, Harry, Sally, come. This is a parable. This is a story to make, bring an analogy of a deep spiritual meaning. Let's keep going. Then Jesus says in verse 8, All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastures. Does that sound familiar? The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life 
and that life may be in more abundance. I am the good shepherd. The, the good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. But a hireling who is not the shepherd, who one, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I, I know my sheep and, and I am known by the my own, by my own. As the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And the other sheep have, I have other sheep which you are not of this fold. Also I must bring, they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. A thief and a robber is different. A thief steals. A robber can kill you and cause harm to you and, and rob off you. And he says, all I've ever had in front of me was thieves and robbers. And let's unpack this. Let's find out who's everyone. Who's in disagreement with me that, that Jesus is our good shepherd? He says that three, four times. First thing, the shepherd is Jesus, amen? The shepherd is Jesus. What does the shepherd do? He looks after his sheep. Who are the sheep? In this context, this is not people who got saved and came in. These are people already in the fold. Look what he says. They're already in the sheep pen. The sheep in this parable, and there could be people that come in from outside, but the sheep in this parable are talking about Christians or talking about disciples, talking about his own, that hear his voice. But I'm sorry, many call themselves believers and do not hear his voice. How we know that? Let's keep going. But he calls his own. He loves them. No one will take them out of the palm of his hand. But the sheep represent the church or disciples. And it's interesting to say, the Bible says, going into all the world and preaching God, making disciples, not Christians. He says, don't make converts, make disciples. See, I can make a convert by saying, do you know Jesus Christ, Lord, Savior? You're going to hell. Do you know, have you sinned? Yeah, yeah. And I can get him and lead him to the Lord. If he doesn't come into the sheepfold or doesn't come into the, the, into the flock, he might be saved, but he's not a disciple. A disciple is a discipline in Christ or one of the Christ disciplines. He gets discipled in the things of God. You are all disciples, people. If you're still sitting there 10 years from now, still wondering if Jesus loves you, you're just a believer. You're not a disciple. He didn't say go and make converts. He said go and make disciples. Disciple takes that effort. Disciple takes the effort from my part and disciple takes effort from your part. But if you're going to come and then run off every five minutes, I can't disciple you. It starts with the body. Come on. It starts with obedience to him. Starts with getting a foundation in Christ. I'm jumping ahead of myself. Look what it says here in Matthew 28, 19. I just read that, so don't bother. That's, that's the one that says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We did that Wednesday night. Hallelujah. Congratulations to those who took that leap of faith. Amen. Well done. The next verse of that actually says, He says, Go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 says, Teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'll be always with you, even to the end of the age. That's a promise. Teaching them. 
So when I make a disciple, when I get when someone comes to Christ, it's my obligation, not just as a pastor, you guys. See, the first disciples you should be making is your own home. It may not be, see, I, I, hey, the most difficult person to preach to is your own family. Jesus said that. He says, first Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then to all who are afar. So your ministry, if you want to call it, is your surroundings. Now, I know it's hard when you're at work and they don't want to hear it. You know, your lifestyle will portray the gospel. See, the Bible says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. See, these churches aren't even preaching repentance anymore. But these churches are preaching repentance but never manifest the kingdom. But I want to manifest the kingdom of God. So if I lead you to repentance into Christ, means repentance just means I'm going to change my mind. I'm living this way. I'm, I, I believe in this way, but now I'm changing my mind. And now I've got faith in the world. I've got faith in my sin. I've got faith in myself. But now I'm going to repent and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross. Now I'm going to embed myself into the body. So why? I can be discipled to be just like him. Come on, somebody. I get people go from church to church to church to church, and every church is wrong. I have to ask yourself a question. Is it the church or is it you? I love people that start in different churches. I, I'm a man. I'm intrigued. I talk to people. All the, when I got saved, I, I got fit into a church. And I was sharing this story the other day with my, my niece and that. I was saying, remember, we all walked into this church. We all got sort of got touched by the Lord 20 years ago. So three, four families, Merv and family and our family and my brother-in-law's family. We went to this church and it was in a warehouse. And we come from a traditional background. And the first thing the kids said, they're looking around this warehouse. He goes, this is not a church. Where's the statues? You're sitting in that right corner there. It's about this high and wearing a jacket. Well, that's half my family. Anyway. <laughs> but it's funny because we've got this perception. So when we walked into a church, awesome. The pastor was the most nicest guy ever. Coming from a traditional background, we didn't want anyone to force something down our throat. He loved us through our, our traditions. He loved us through our, our ignorance. He loved us through, you know what got me? I was sitting there dressed nice, you know, we're in church. That guy there's got an earring, got a nosery, he's got shorts on, no shoes. And he keeps saying hallelujah. I go, I'm going to whack this guy if he keeps saying hallelujah. That was the old Tony. I'm going to whack this guy. What are we doing? He goes, oh, let's turn to the book. I remember this clearly. Let's turn to the book of Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. He gets his Bible out. What? You got a Bible? He's opening up. What? He, he reads it and he's got a pen and he's writing what the pastor's saying. I'm sitting there going, you know what? I'm going to show this guy. The following week, we came back. This is, oh, this is a funny story, too. Finally, we get back. I brought a Bible. Said, Jenna, we got a Bible? Because, yeah, I think my brother in law, Georgie's dad, gave us a Bible when we got married. So I got it. Yeah. Now I got a Bible. And I remember we're sitting in a row and it was all of us. Oh, Andre. And I'm, I'm going to show up that guy with the no shoes and the earring and, and he was judging the guy to hell. Like, you know. Oh, next one. Turn to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 6. We're looking at each other like, like let's go to the index. By the time we got to the index, he meant to five, five scriptures. <laughs> but I noticed something funny. As I was sitting there and I looked across, where's this Hebrews chapter thing? We had no idea. We looked apart, we had no idea. None of us, let's be honest, none of us. But I looked across and I noticed that everybody in the row had the same color Bible. We've all got the same brown Bible, brown cover. And I'm looking at this guy and he's writing notes and what's he hallelujah for? And 
And he's writing notes down. And I looked around. Not everyone, but they're writing notes. And not church. Like I'm back in school. <laughs> but something was nagging in my heart. So we get out of this meeting and we go to the cafe, the cafe next door. And, we, and they were friendly and they were talking to us. And I started saying, well, I couldn't get out of my head two things. How that guy was reading the Bible, because he's the last thing in the person that I perceive. But the other thing was, why have we all got brown Bibles? I think I asked Merv, where did you get your Bible from? And I think it was a wedding gift or a, a gift from our brother-in-law. And he's Armenian too. So I said, yeah, I'm here. I said, I said to Janet, where did we get our Bible book? Because when we got married, he gave us a present. And I think someone else had a Bible. They all had, and it was all gifts from my brother-in-law. He had sowed a seed in us 20 years earlier. He gave us gifts at different times. No one ever read them until we all got saved. Guess what? We're all sitting in a row reading the Bible that he sowed into us. And I'm trying to tell you a picture that he had a heart for the kingdom of God. Why? We're using them Bibles today 20 years later. He preached the gospel for 20 years. No one got saved. So one day the Holy Spirit hit one after the other after the other. Half this room is here because of him. I want to give him honor right now for his faithfulness. And then I started to say, where's this Bible? And then we started on his search about the word of God. To understand that, you know what? You need to be discipled. You need to be in the body of Christ. You need to be fed. Did, they have, did that church have it all worked out? No. But thank God for them that they fed us and spoon fed us and got us to a place. And then God, when it was the right time, God moved us. And I served there. Even when I got to a place where I was casting out demons, they weren't. God was moving in the Holy Spirit, they weren't. All these things, they weren't. But what I learned from them is perseverance. What I learned from them is faithfulness. What I learned from them is they did not waver. They served God no matter what. And I thought, wow. I keep that to my heart today. I learned so many things back then. I thought it was dumb. Now I'm using them as a pastor and as a leader. Why? Because they understood the principles of serving the body. Does that make sense? So you may not be where you're at, where you want to be at. And God bless where we've come from. Please don't ever despise where you've come from. That's not what I'm talking about. But God wants disciples to grow. He wants under shepherds. He wants more people to be under authority, to give and move the kingdom of God forward. Amen. A preacher said many years ago, I have a fear. It was about 100 years ago. I have a fear that the, I don't know if the church is going to influence the world or is the world going to influence the church? We have to ask that question. He said one thing. He said, he said are they going to replace worship for prayer? They're going to replace the anointing for the gifts. Everything we're seeing today, I'm sorry. We've seen in the last two, three years, biggest worship leaders rejecting Christ and, 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 and renouncing Christ. Worship leaders that sold millions of copies of the gospel and touched lives who say, oh, I don't believe this anymore. So here, uh, let's go. The first thing. So first thing I said, Jesus is the shepherd. Amen. Second thing, the sheep is his true believers, the ones that follow his voice. The third thing is the sheepfold was the church, the gathering. When he called the sheep into the sheepfold and he would close the gate, they had a fence around them. That was to protect them, to feed them, so they could have security away from the wolves, away from the dogs, away from the animals, away from the thieves. The Bible says that, uh, the Bible says that in, in the psalm, it says, he anoints my head with oil. True? You know what they used to do? They used to go check every sheep, the shepherd, make sure that they weren't cut and they weren't bruised or, 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 or um, 
They didn't get hit with um, like uh, uh, fleas and infections. And what they would do if they had some stuff on their heads, on their body, they would pour oil on the sheep and rub it through them. And that sheep would know that the shepherd was looking after them. And that's all in the sheep pen or it's in the barn. That's what, that's what the Lord does to us every time we meet here and we worship him. And God brings the word and we get prayer. What's he doing? He's anointing our head with oil. It's a covering of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We all, we all want to be anointed for ministry, but God wants to anoint us in healing, in deliverance, in protection. You know, sharing this analogy with the boys yesterday, I said, you could have a wild horse and he's free. He's big, this big Brumby horse, strong, fast, does everything, and he thinks he's free. He just roams around, does what he wants. Then you've got a horse inside a stable, inside of a, a horse pen, and that horse doesn't get out. Only if the, if the owner of the horse rides it. He stays in there. He's under boundaries. He's um, got a st- saddle on his back. He's been reined in. And that horse says, man, you're not free. I'm free. You're under bondage. Look, you're under a cage. Yeah? And he says to him, you, they've put limits on you. Mate, look, the guy tells you what to do, all these things. And this horse is wild. But when it comes time for war, and the guy goes, we need to go to war. Quick, grab that horse. Even that horse in the wilderness is stronger. Come on, it's faster, it's more resilient. But hey, it's untamable, it's undisciplined, it's untrained. It has got no discipleship. But that horse in the pen, he go, the rider gets on, he can control it, he can go to war, he's useful. And sometimes we think that freedom without boundaries is freedom. No, it's bondage because that horse now is not protected. This horse is in the stable, he gets fed. If someone comes to steal him, you shoot him. If animals try to kill him, and that wild horse is roaming. The world is untamable at the moment. Listen to me. The world has no restrictions at the moment. What can go around, it doesn't matter. There's no boundaries, no moral absolutes. And look where we've ended up. Come on, somebody. But when God puts discipline, God puts restriction on us. When we're inside the gate of the sheep pen, but guess who's with us? The shepherd. That he might think he's free because he's got all the vast land to run around in. But ultimately, he's going to kill himself. I was going to share something, but I'm not. So the gathering here, the body of Christ, is protection. I was talking to a brother. He was telling me about their pastor and, and how he went off track. The, he was a lovely guy, but he started teaching doctrines, and he just went off track, and it became about, anyway, it became about things that weren't right. They were preaching Jesus, and they loved Jesus and everything, but some things there. And I look at the fruit of the congregation. If there's no freedom and there's no smiles on your face and there's no edification, man, you get out of that church right now. That's bondage and witchcraft. This one went from preaching the gospel, laying hands on the sick to law. And it was all about law. And it's all about what you can't do. And the Holy Ghost left the building. It's a sad place when the Holy Ghost leaves you and you don't know it. So the sheep pen is a place of security place of separation from the world. Now, we get a lot of people from the world get saved, come in here, and they, they struggle. They go, they come, they go, they come. Praise God. Please keep coming. But it comes to a time where we're here supposed to tell them not what they want to hear, but what the Lord wants them to hear to be free. It's a separation to separate. Not that we're better than the world. Because the Bible says we're in the world, but we're not of the world. These denominations in the past that have separated from the world so much that they don't send their kids to public schools, they don't send their kids to uni, they don't send their kids to things. You know what? At the moment, probably not a bad idea. 
but it was so isolated that the gospel was never preached to anyone except for their own. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that we are the children of God and Jesus will build his church and the gates of the world or hell shall not prevail. Amen. We're going to be light and salt to the world. Amen. Hallelujah. The fourth was the doorkeeper. The Bible says that Jesus calls the sheep by name. They come to the doorkeeper or the gatekeeper and he opens the door and they come to him. But Jesus said, I'm the door. He just says, I'm the good shepherd. How can he be a door and a shepherd? And who opened the door? They're the questions I ask. But I learned this week, and it was awesome. And as I studied it out the last couple of days, it really blew my mind. The doorkeeper is the Holy Spirit. So who owns the sheep pen? The father. Who's the shepherd? The son. Who controls the door? The Holy Spirit. Jesus is the door. But then who comes in and it's the Holy Spirit's job? Can I show it to you? Can I show it to you? Before people start throwing stones at me, Weeby's got a whole bucket full. John 16, 13. This is John 16. However, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. Stop. He will guide you into all truth. Who is the truth? Don't be shy. Jesus is the truth. Now, we take this scripture as is after we receive the Holy Spirit. But that is true. But here, Jesus says, he'll guide you into all truth. There's only one truth. His name is Jesus. And for he will not speak of his own authority, because the Holy Spirit has authority, does he not? Does he not? If you, if you like the Holy Spirit, you'll never be forgiven. If you grieve the Holy Spirit, he'll move away. Look at this. He doesn't speak of his own authority, but he, whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. The Holy Spirit will come from heaven and come through the gate. Who is, who's the gate? Or I want to show you something that blew my mind, which I never knew. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. This, I knew this, but I want to share something. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaks by the Spirit of God, calls him Jesus accursed. And no one who can say that Jesus is Lord except by thee. So before I got saved, the only way I could say Jesus is Lord is by the Holy Spirit. Why? He's the gate. What comes in or what goes out is by the Holy Spirit. On, when God spoke, let there be light. Okay? God spoke. God the Father spoke. Let there be light. Who is the light? Jesus. He spoke the word. The Bible says in John 1, the word became flesh. The word, the Logos word is Jesus. So God the Father spoke, God the Son manifested, but who brought the light? The Holy Spirit. He's waiting for the word. See, Jesus is the gate, but the Holy Spirit is the gatekeeper. Remember when the, good, the Samaritan was bashed up? Remember the good Samaritan story? He was bashed up. The guy picked him up, put him on his donkey. He put, he, what did he do? He put oil on his wounds. He put wine on his wounds. He wrapped him up, put him on his donkey and took him to the who? Innkeeper. Who's that, who that represent? The Holy Spirit. He said he came to bandage a man who was half dead. He got beaten by thieves, yeah? Who's half dead? Who's alive but dead? Who's alive but dead? Okay, let's go back from ABC of uh, Bible studies. 
Adam, was he alive? Did he eat from the tree? Did he die? He died spiritually, but he's still alive. He's alive, but he's half dead. Every man after Adam was alive, but dead. That's why you must be born again. You're alive, but you're dead. That man was a picture of Adam. Died, got bashed up, half dead. Who comes? The good Samaritan. It's a type of Jesus. What does he do? He brings wine, the blood. Brings oil, the anointing. He, he, he bandages our wounds. He heals our diseases. He lifts up our burden. My burden is easy. My, give me your burdens. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. He carries our load, puts him on a donkey. He takes him to the innkeeper, who's the picture of the Holy Spirit. Now look after him. What did Jesus do on the cross? He gave us the Holy Spirit as a deposit. Wait, because he's coming back to get us, isn't he? Is he coming back to get us or not? He gives him two silver coins. Silver represents redemption, represents grace. He gave him two silver coins. And if you want to look at it, two silver coins represents 2,000 years. He's coming back on the third thousand, on the third, to start the third millennium reign. Jesus is coming back. Listen, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for his bride, his church, his sheep. But if you don't hear his voice, you're not you're going to miss out. Isn't it a beautiful picture of Jesus? He picks up the wounded man, half dead. The Bible says half dead. Because you've got to remember, the priest came. Then the Levite came. The priest represents religion. And the Levite represents the law. Listen, when you're half dead, religion can't save you. And the Lord can't save you. Law can't save you. Only the one with a Samaritan's heart. You know what he's talking about? An outcast. Samaritans are outcasts. Samaritans married foreign wives. What did Jesus do? He married a foreign wife, the Gentiles. We're foreign to the Jews. We were never under the covenant. He took a foreign wife. We are the church, the bride of Christ. We were never part of his covenant. But yet Jesus stepped out and took a dirty, rotten woman and cleaned her up, talking about the church, and put us into his bride. Now we're in the bride. Not the bridal party. We're the bride. Hallelujah. Come on. So, so far, he says that I can't call Jesus Lord without the Holy Spirit. Here it says, I can't receive revelation without the Holy Spirit. Guess what? Who's opening and closing the gate? The Holy Spirit. He's the, he's the gatekeeper. So in this sheep pen story, the owner is the father. The good shepherd is Jesus. The, 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 the doorkeeper is who? The Holy Spirit. We're the sheep. If we confess Jesus as Lord. Amen. And look at this. This is beautiful. This story tells me something. Everyone says, have you made Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior? It's not even written in the Bible. I don't see anywhere in the Bible the sinner's prayer. Is it wrong? No. But maybe we've said a sinner's prayer and not been saved. We may have said Jesus is Lord, but never confessed him as Lord. I want to show you something. Show you something. And I say the sinner's prayer. I lead people in the sinner's prayer. Don't misunderstand me. But a prayer at this altar does not save you. The only thing that saves me, if the Holy Spirit draws me to the Father and I bow my knee and I ask God for forgiveness and I receive Him as my Lord and Savior. The prayer does not save you. Many people have prayed a prayer and gone back to the world and there's not even a glitch of the Holy Spirit in them. That's a sad place when we think we could just say, say this prayer after me and you're saved. No, that's the beginning and I'm not against the prayer. But it's not in the Bible. It doesn't say anywhere that I have a personal... Lord and Savior. But is he our personal Lord and Savior? I want to show you something. Is the Father separated from the Son? Is the Son separated from the Father? Can you call Jesus Lord without the Holy Spirit? Look what it says here. I got so excited. 
go back to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Now, there was a debate. Someone asked me this. David asked me this as well. And I've heard this a million times. And people have split churches up about what I'm about to say. So hear my heart. Let me explain it to you. Put away the rocks, Tony. All right. I'm picking on Tony. What's it say? Can you read it for me, please? All right, I've had people punch on about this scripture. Because here it says, being baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But if you read Paul's letters, he says, get baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've had people get baptized into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go into a church that says, no, nah, that's not right. You've got to get re-baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ. They go get baptized in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then I've had people get baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they say, no, that's no, wrong. You have to get baptized in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. So which one is it? Was Paul wrong? Paul wasn't wrong. That means Jesus is wrong, eh? Who's game enough to say Jesus is wrong? <laughs> Can I explain something in my revelation? Jesus said, whoever receives me, receives the? Okay. No one comes to God unless the, the Spirit of God draws him. I can have God. Many people believe in God. The Jews believe in God. Islam believes in God. Many Christians believe in God. But not many have received the Son. He says here, I am the gate. And the only way to enter to be saved is through the door or the gate. True? He says, I am the gate. But then he says, when they come through the gate, I'll be their shepherd. How can you be the gate and the shepherd? How can you be two? Let me explain something to you. When Jesus came down from heaven, where did he hang? Where did he hang? On a cross. He died on the cross. Jesus said, any man comes to the Father has to come through me. Jesus on the cross paid the ultimate penalty. What I deserved, he took. What I couldn't pay, he paid. Then he gave me his righteousness and he took my sin. Then he died on the cross and opened up heaven. Did any man come through me, the cross, the blood of Jesus, then you can go to the Father. The sheep then represents, the door represents Jesus on the cross. But when he rose from the dead, he was our shepherd. That's why he's the door and the shepherd. So if you don't go through the door, or let me say it this way, if you haven't bowed your knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I don't care if you know every scripture under the sun, you're not in the Father's will. You're not in the sheepfold. And Jesus is not your Lord. You have to come to the Father through the Son. The only way to come through that is through the cross. There's no other way but through the cross. Can someone say amen? It's through the cross of Jesus Christ you get to heaven. The Bible says here that thieves and robbers are trying to jump in over the fence. This is not talking about heaven because there's no thieves and robbers in heaven anymore. It's talking about it on earth. Thieves and robbers. People want to rob the things of God that they don't deserve. Or people are trying to get things of God. People talk. I believe the robbers and the thieves he's talking about here is the Pharisees. The hiling hands. They were just hired in a sense. They were, their job was to preach the gospel. What did Jesus say to them? You travel the whole world to make one convert. And when you do that, he's twice the devil than what he was. They were putting burdens on people. And the Bible says, you wouldn't lift one finger to help them. He goes, I desire mercy before sacrifice. What was happening? That the sheep were getting assaulted. The sheep were getting abused. You know when the Bible says that some people are called to be eunuchs? Have you read that scripture? There's a scripture that says a eunuch. You know what a eunuch is? Anyone know what a eunuch is? 
Amen. What's a eunuch? Quickly. Yeah. There was eunuchs in the Old Testament, sorry, eunuchs in the old days. Their job was to look after the bride or the, the queen. And why they got blokes to look after the queen, I do not know. And what you, why would you wake up one morning and say, I want to be a eunuch? Because you get the old fella chopped off, for lack of a better word. So they castrated. So they can't touch the bride. They just prepare the bride for the bridegroom. Are you with me? That's their job. Jesus says some people are called to be eunuchs. Thank God he didn't call me to be a eunuch. <laughs> is he really talking about it in a physical sense or is this a spiritual book? He was saying, this is what people call to be eunuchs. I've called some people to look after my bride without abusing her and touching her and, and taking advantage of her. He's talking about pastors and leaders that do not abuse the body of Christ. They're there to not touch. They're there to prepare for my job is to prepare you for him. He's our bridegroom. My job isn't that you put your faith in me. My job is to prepare you because he's coming to get you to take you home. I'm not here to touch you, abuse you, uh, take advantage of you. It's a spiritual meeting. Please, can we talk about spiritual things? There'll be babies here. People are laughing at me already. So I'm going to walk around like this for the rest of the night. My wife's going to kill me. Look at this. You're laughing, huh? But these are the things Paul wanted to teach. But 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. So a eunuch is someone to prepare the bride as if it's his bride, but he has no pleasure, no intimacy with that bride because that's the king's bride. In other words, it's usually in a kingdom. It's usually the queen gets prepared or the, the princess getting prepared for her marriage. They prepare her for the bridegroom. Jesus is a picture, a type and a shadow that my job and even your job in a sense, your, listen, your job is to prepare your children for the Lord. Teach your child and the way he should go. And when he gets older, what your job, your kids didn't come from you, they came through you. They're yours on this earth. Look after them, love them, teach them, but they're gonna come through you because God's gonna use them wherever way he wants, and it's none of your business. Mum, let go of your kids. Love them, nurture them, but they're not yours. Every mum just said, kill that bloke. My wife's the first one. Look. And brethren, can I not speak to you as spiritual, but as carnal, as of babes in Christ? Paul says, oh, I hunger to teach you the deep things of God, but you're so carnal. So half the people now won't remember nothing except getting chopped off tonight because we're carnal. But think about it in the spirit. Honestly, think about it in the spirit. Think about how busted the church is. The bride of Christ right now has absolutely been busted. It's because of leaders. It's because of congregation. The only people that complain about churches are people that have been in the church a long time. I love new converts. You know why? Because their ears willing to hear what God's going to say. I love new converts. You know why? Because they're hungry for the things of God. But when you've been around a while, you think you know it all. Oh, that's not good. That's not bad. That's too slow. That's too fast. He's too big. He's too short. And we start complaining. The service went too long. The air conditioner wasn't on. I was actually freezing this. Now I'm fine. Are you getting what I'm trying to say? Now, please, are you getting what I'm trying to say? What I'm trying to say is, as long as I've got some hang-ups, as long as I've got some things, some issues, you know, I heard this preacher say, you may be Jesus' first cousin, but I've got some issues, and I'm dealing with some issues. You know, sometimes we don't look at, that's good, that's bad, I didn't like that message, I didn't like that, it's too fast. Listen to me. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? 
When you read your Bible, are you telling God what to do? Is the Bible telling you what to do? When I got baptized, people say to me, what, did you get re-baptized? I said, to be honest, I never really got baptized because I got baptized right. What's mean right? I said, I love what my parents did for me. But the Bible says, repent and be baptized. The Bible says, when they believe, be baptized. I couldn't believe as a kid. I thank you for doing what you did for me. But it's my salvation. I'm the one going to hell if I go there, not you. No one's going to be standing with me against the Lord. So when I started to read the Bible, the Bible spoke to me. You know, I love this saying, the Bible, does, you don't read the Bible, the Bible reads you. Guarantee you, I'll challenge anyone here who doesn't read a scripture, doesn't like it, turns the page. I hate it, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Proverbs, Proverbs, let your yes, Jesus said let your yes, yes, no be no. Turn the page. I was a salesman. I said, think it's yes or no, it's just lies. Sorry to all the salesmen here. <laughs> But see, that was a challenge for me. Why? Because push the boundaries a bit. Stretch the, the truth a bit. Widen the... No, no, no. God doesn't give you that option. I said, you know what? So what I did, you reckon I stopped saying... You know what I did? I left the job. <laughs> I left the job. God, God pulled me out, to be honest, uh, after a time. Because God loves you. He's the shepherd. He'll take you out of situations you don't belong. And even if it means you go through the dry places, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's not talking about hell or talking about dying. That's talking about when you go through a valley situation, when you go through a dry place in your life, God is with you. Sometimes God's leading you through the valley. Oh, no one likes that one. Sometimes God allows you to go through the valley because once you've gone through it, you look back and say, thank you, Jesus. So when your brother's going through a valley, you know what you do? You lead him out. I don't know what it's like to be sick till I'm sick. I don't like, I don't like when I'm, I don't like what it is to be homeless till you're homeless. I don't know what it's like to be rejected till I'm rejected. It's things that happen to us we can't explain. But it's not that God's doing it and God's punishing you. If that sheep goes off wandering in the wilderness, is it the shepherd's fault? But what he does, most of us say, where's God in my life? Where's God in my life? In the nightclub. <laughs> He's blaming God. He's blaming God. Man, where's God in my life? What happened? I lost $100,000. How? The tab. The casino. Man, I'll lose money at the ATM at the casino, let alone the casino. He's lost it. See, Chris. Watch it on video. He said, I want to speak to you as spiritual, but you're like Chris Carnell. <laughs> Is this making sense? You can do nothing for the Lord unless you're attached to his body. It's just the church. I'm not saying attached to the church, a church or a denomination. God bless them all. But you can be attached to the church, sit in that pew for 30 years and learn nothing. Please don't waste your life like that. Come into the body and become the heart, become the elbow, come the figure, do something in the part of the body and let the head anoint you. You know, when, when, the, when the, the, they came up to Jesus and said, let me follow you, Lord. It wasn't uncommon in the Jewish days to have disciples. Remember, John the Baptist had disciples. Remember, he says, that John the Baptist. It's very common. You know why they believe in mentoring? They believe certain rabbis or certain teachers could have people and it was not uncommon to have 12. It's based on Old Testament principles. They're a tribal or whatever. A lot of the parents would, would, would give their kids to certain teachers of the law or certain rabbinic outfits to teach their son. The, the Jews believe till this day, your son 
uh, daughters, but mainly your son should have more than one teacher. And they have this idea where one would teach you spiritual things, one would teach you moral things, one would teach you about the law, but also one would teach you about money. and fun. They're different mentors. We look at it from our culture. It used to be your grandfather, your uncles, your aunties, you know, people in the village that would help you, your cousins, your older cousins. Um, that's what they say. You need a, a tribe. You know, you, what's that saying? Uh, you don't raise a kid. The tri- you need a tribe to raise them? The village? What is it? What is it? What is it? Not my village. <laughs> That concept was true. And the rabbis were no different. So when they walked up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, let me follow you. But you know what? In those days, they weren't stupid. They weren't going to a rabbi who was broke. They weren't going to a rabbi who was going to drag you through the desert. They were going to people, what's in it for me? Because it's like going to uni. You know, I'll go to uni, you know, whatever. They go to a rabbi because the rabbis were wealthy in the sense of that. So you, were, you wanted to attach yourself to the best and get all the benefits. And that's why when they came up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, let me follow you. He goes, well, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no way to lay his head. So if you're going to follow me, you're going to do it the tough way. Come on, somebody. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no way to lay his head. So if you're going to follow me, I don't know where I'm going tomorrow. He had a house. He had his mom's house. He had his, you know, he could go anywhere, Jesus. It's not about the house, but he's saying, if you're going to come with me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross. No matter what happens, follow me. And that's what happened to them. They all died. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You know what he's talking about spiritually? Don't come to me if you get the benefit, because your benefit could be death. I can't know where to lay my head. I want to lay my head on a body. He's talking about, you know, he came to his own and own did not receive him. The temple was, this, was, was corrupt. The Pharisees were abusing everything, just like what we're talking about. And he says, you know what? When I die, I'm going to lay my headship on the body. I've got no way to lay it right now. But when I die and, and raise up the body of Christ, I'll lay my head on the body of Christ. That's what he was saying. That I'm going to lay my head. I'm going to have the mind of Christ. That's why Jesus had the thorns on his head. You know why he had the thorns on his head? They were mocking him, yeah? Well, what the evil does for evil, God turns for good. Because of Adam, what happened to the earth? It was cursed with what? Thorns and thistles. Yeah? What did Jesus put in his head? Thorns. What's the, what's the thorns represent? Curse. Man was made from the dust of the earth. Man was cursed. Jesus took the thorns, put them on his head, and he cursed the curse. And he removed the curse off man. So you can have no longer the mind of Adam. You can have the mind of Christ. Can someone say amen? If you're not happy, I'm, I'm preaching myself happy. The thorn, the, the, when, 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 when um, uh, uh, Jacob was going to sacrifice Isaac, where's the sacrifice, Dad? Carrying wood up a hill. Where's the sacrifice, Dad? Because God will provide. We got this picture that he was sacrificing a baby. No, this guy was directed up to 16 to 18 years old. Abraham, sorry. Abraham was sacrificing Isaac. And he's walking up a hill. What's that represent? What did Jesus do up, going up Calvary's hill? What was he carrying? A cross. Timber. What was Isaac carrying? Wood. Top of the cross. Who was the sacrifice? Jesus. Isaac was about to get sacrificed by the father. And the angel says, don't touch him. We read this. Abraham, Abraham, stop. Sorry. Or we read it in Arabic way. In quite a fish way. In Portuguese, it's... I don't know Portuguese. <laughs> but we read it like, Abraham, Abraham, stop. Don't touch this child. Because, you know, we know you love, you fear God. 
Now there's a ram's head caught in the bush. He's about to kill his son. And the angel goes, Abraham, Abraham, stop. We know he got his attention. He's about to kill him. He says, don't touch the boy. We know you fear God. Look, there's a ram's head caught in the bush. What was the ram representing? Jesus. Where was his head caught? In a bush of thorns. The cross before the cross. And Jesus is the door, the gate, and only the sheep can go through him to be saved. Hallelujah. Oh, but I came to Jesus. No, he didn't. God drew you to him. But I have to make a decision. I can either be, oh, yeah, Jesus, he's my Lord and Savior, bro. But I never come into the sheep pen with him. Because we know when the, when, the, when the shepherd come in and put oil on his head, it speaks of intimacy. The Bible calls us sheep. It also calls us sons. also calls us a bride. We're very confused people, aren't we? If you didn't understand the scripture, it's schizophrenic. But what is he saying? A bride has intimacy with the bridegroom. True? When it happens with intimacy, something is birthed. Then you produce sons and daughters. When we have time with the Lord in intimacy, listen to me, God births something in your heart and he produces offspring. I go from a sheep, dumb, following the shepherd, to a bride who has intimacy so I can be a son and a daughter and conquer the world. Do you get that? Well, we just want to stay dumb sheep. Have you ever seen a sheep? Have you ever seen sheep getting sheared? I went to my son, you know, I think, how do I get these excursions with my kids? And I learned something and I learned 20. Remember, AJ, they used to pull the sheep and put it on its back legs? But once it's got on its back legs, that's it. It just freezes. It doesn't know how to get out of it. And we walk away because, get up, you dumb sheep, run. It's got no ability to. That's what we are. That's a picture of us. Because when God lays us down, just be still and know that he is God. Don't try to kick and scream. I don't feel like this. Doesn't matter. God's doing a work in you. We don't know the beginning from the end, but he does. And he leads us and guides us into all truth. Come on. God is so good. Amen. Give him a round of applause. How are we going for time? Ten past six. Can I just finish off one more point? Or you want me to stop? Honestly, you said stop. Get their name and number plate. Verse 17 of John 10. Verse 17, let's finish off with this. So he says, I have sheep you know nothing about. Or I have sheep in another fold or another sheep pen. He was talking about he came to his own, the Jews. And now he's got sheep. He had sheep in the Jewish but guess what? I've got other sheep. I believe he's talking about the Gentiles, us. You know nothing about that because remember, he's talking to Jews here and we, weren't, we were outside the covenant. But I'll tell you who weren't his sheep. Who wants to know who weren't his sheep? Who's intrigued and find out who wasn't his sheep? Nobody? All right, let's close off. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life and that I may take it up again. No one takes from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. This command, this command I have received from my father. Therefore, there was division among the Jews because of these saying, stop, don't go any further. So who is he talking to here? Jews. They think they're the chosen ones, though they were. They think they're the sheep. But they've never really understood the shepherd because we know that they never understood God as father they were children of Abraham he goes I can make 
children out of these stones because we're children of God. Because if you knew you were from God, you'd know who me because Moses spoke about me. I was before Abraham. You get the story. So he's talking to the Jews. Next verse. And as many of them said, he has a demon and he's mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, there are, these are not words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open up the eyes of the blind? And look what Jesus says. Now it was the feast of dedication in the Jerusalem and it was winter. And Jesus walked into the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, what? How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, tell us plainly. Look what Jesus says. I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in, uh, do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe me because you are not my sheep, as I said to you. The Pharisees weren't his sheep. The Pharisees weren't his sheep. They were the thieves and the robbers as well. You can know the scripture back to front. You could be anointed by an organization. You could have the word of the Lord. You can have a genealogy. You can know the ins and outs of everything and still not be his sheep. Listen to me. It's a heart issue, not a head issue. If you don't understand, listen to me. If you don't bow your heart to the Lord and you walk in the sheep gate through the Holy Spirit to the Father, to the Son and be taught by him, you're not his. Because there's coming a time he separates the goat from the sheep. And I believe there are sheep that become goats. I believe there are people that are uh, robbers that jump the fence and they're not his. My sheep hear my voice. He knows us by name. I can go back to Psalm 23, but for the sake of time, you're not mine. But Jesus knows who's his. The Father owns everything, the Son is the shepherd. Can you understand why now? Can you understand Psalm 23 a bit better now? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in lack. Just the verse, verse. Let me tell you why we can say that more clearly than David. Because we know that the shepherd is Jesus. And we know on the cross, he took my sickness, my disease. He took my curse. He took my poverty. He took my shame. He took my guilt. He paid a price that I could not pay to give me the kingdom of God. That my inheritance that 2,000 years ago, Christ shed his blood and set me free from everything that is against me. And God is for me who can be against me. Everything, the inheritance of the Father is mine. Why? Because I lack no thing because I know the shepherd because I've been through the door. The cross of Jesus. That says earlier in Matthew, I got sidetracked. I don't just need to have a personal relationship with Jesus, because I do. It's all about Jesus. But listen to me, listen to me. Those who believe in the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. I need a personal relationship with all three. There's attributes about the Trinity that come to you many different ways. Especially the Father. In closing, can you put up that? In two, in when I, I got saved, twenty second, fifth, three days. Was it? Was it? Twenty seventh, twenty seventh of sep September, two thousand and two. My son John Daniel was born. Had an encounter with the Lord in the hospital. I did not know it was the Lord. Come back. Want to tell your story? All right, relax. I'm finishing. My, my wife was pregnant. Bear with me five more minutes. I feel very strong in my heart to share this. 
My wife was pregnant with John Daniel. Two weeks, two weeks before she gave birth. I, I, I was on the road, but I wasn't saved. My wife had a closer relationship with the Lord than I did. I believed, I'd fight people that said anything about Jesus, but I did not know him. If I died, I was going to hell. And about two weeks before she was born, my wife had a dream. And she said, oh, in the dream, I was in the hospital. And in the hospital, your mom and my mom were there. And, and we gave birth to a boy. I went, oh, praise God. He goes, and in the dream, they asked me, what was his name? Now, my oldest son, AJ, um, he's named after me. Um, my, my youngest son found out that AJ means Anthony, and my name's Anthony. He goes, what are you, some narcissistic king? Name him after you. My youngest son took him 10 years to work out that his name's Anthony. But anyway, he's from my wife's side. Anyway, um, okay. God bless my wife's side. They need all the help they can get. No, I love her. No, no, please don't miss her. All right, can we close? <laughs> so, um, so his name was easy because I'm self-absorbed person, you know, but, but, but the second name we were sort of struggling with thinking Jacob and Christian, all these different names. And, and it was amazing because she had a dream and she told me about the dream. She says, we're in this dream and everyone was around and she heard a strong dominant voice in the dream said, you will name him John Daniel. So she tells me this, I go, Jack Daniels? I name him after a Scotch, you, you crazy woman. Now, unknown to me because, you know, I talk a lot and I don't listen. But thank God I've changed. Um, my wife didn't say anything more about it, but it was so real to her. And every time someone come over, we're going to name him Jack Daniels. We're going to name him after a Scotch. Maybe his middle name should be Ice, Jack Daniels and Ice. And maybe Jack Daniels with Coke. And I, I was a pig. Sorry, I admit it. But to me, it was funny. And I said, oh, you're like my mom. She has dreams every five minutes, you know. None of them are right. But. And I'm in the hospital. And, and obviously, we went in there and John Daniel was born. And nothing. Yeah, praise God. It's a boy. And I had to go with John Daniel with the nurse. You know, if you've ever had a baby. Eva had a baby. Praise God. Hallelujah. And I remember going in and we walked into the room. And the door's there. And they put the baby, John Daniel, under the ultraviolet lights. You know, they check the skin and, you know. And I'm standing there like this and the nurse is sitting down. And I'm standing there and the nurse says, um, what a beautiful baby. I said, yeah, praise God. I'm just so excited, healthy. I'm, I'm blessed. Not saved. And all of a sudden, she goes, what's his name? And out of my mouth, I don't know, I can't explain it to this day, just rolled out of my tongue, John Daniel. And I felt someone standing on my right shoulder like someone was literally standing behind me, not touching me, but I felt a presence on my right shoulder. So I looked straight away behind me thinking a nurse came, another nurse came in, but the door's there. And I had this overwhelming feeling that someone was behind me. And the nurse says, oh, that's different. Okay, you're telling me. I've been mocking the name for two weeks. So by the time we go up to the ward, Janice back in the ward, and I gave her the baby and and... She says to me, what are we going to name him? I said, John Daniel. And she looked at me. She goes, no, 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 you name me. He goes, I think God named him. That's all I could say. And three days later, on a couch, with a few issues with families that always happen, I'm home with my wife. They're asleep. I'm on a couch. And I'm flicking and I'm going for something in my heart that someone said to me and I was broken. I was happy about my child, but I was broken. I'm flicking through the TV and I get on the Christian channel 
and the guy's preaching about the end days and and he's preaching and I'm thinking, oh, look at these thieves. And I'm laying on the couch, look at these thieves, they take your money and you know, <laughs> everything you're saying now. No, I'm joking. And uh, look at these thieves. Uh, but this guy got me. He was saying stuff that my brother-in-law used to say about the end days, about the second coming of Christ. I haven't read the Bible, no, nothing. And he walks up, he's on a stage and he walks up to the stage. He goes, many people think that after the cross, the end of the age is like we're going to the end of the age and then the end of the age, you know, it's finished. He goes, but in reality, when Jesus rose from the dead, we're at the end of the age. And he walks to the edge of the stage. And we've been walking on this since the day of the cross. Wow, he goes. And Jesus is coming back. And he, then he says, I've, I've got to close. And he says this. He was a Baptist preacher, amazing man of God. And he says this. He says, you might have been born in the church, but doesn't make you a Christian. You might have been confirmed, doesn't make you a Christian. Have you repented and received Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? But in my heart, I'm listening to this guy, but my heart's racing, thinking this guy, and I'm trying to turn the TV off. I don't listen to this idiot. That's what I'm saying. I don't listen to this idiot. They're thieves. They're this, they're that. And before I could turn it off, I close my eyes and he starts to pray. And I start to pray within myself. All of a sudden, I felt like I went to sleep, but I didn't. I, I, I napped. I don't know what happened. And it was like 240 volts went through my body and threw me off the couch and i got up my heart's racing like this and i'm going what's going on and the guy's still praying and I, I ran into the bedroom i thought somebody banged on the window i thought i don't know you know you know when you fall asleep and you get startled when someone wakes you that's what i thought but this was different there was electricity going through my body and i ran into the bedroom i said jenna you're right and they're asleep and aj's asleep he's about two years old at the time three years old and he's just no walk back out the guy's still praying so it would have been a fraction of a second I knew something that minute happened to me that day. I prayed a prayer from my heart, not knowing what's going on. The Holy Ghost hit me so hard. And that was my journey onto the Lord. From that, I started going on a journey. And I knew, and I couldn't explain it. I didn't even want to tell my wife, oh, I'm going crazy. But I told her, and then, yeah, it's nice. Then my sister came over. And I told her, she goes, hmm, that's nice. I'm like, oh, they think I'm mad. But when my brother-in-law, the one that gave me the Bible, came over, he goes, Holy Ghost. And he starts telling me about this. Holy Ghost, you must pray now. You must have a Bible. You must read. That's the Holy Spirit. And I said, is that stuff real? Oh, yes, my son, read, read, read. And he just took off. And that was my journey. Six months later, the Holy Ghost filled me with And I started speaking in tongues. And oh, my journey and my family went, I'm going mad. You're having a nervous breakdown. And I said, well, this nervous breakdown has lasted 20 years. Praise God. I wish I had more of them. And he's the same brother-in-law that gave me the Bible. And this is what the Lord spoke to my heart, November 2022. That was September 2002, sorry. He's what said to my heart. I said, what do you want me from you, Lord? You know that song, Jesus was honey to my lips? That's what I felt. I could taste him. And my spirit jumped. And there was something that changed. And it was like a Paul of Damascus conversion. And I, was, I had a zeal for God with no knowledge. I said things I shouldn't have said, and I'd done things I shouldn't have done, but I was just excited about God. I was young, and my ear was open. I wanted to hear what the gospel was. I wanted to hear what, I just wanted to know who Jesus was. There was something new. I knew nothing. And with my struggles, with, I understood God, God the Son, Jesus. I understood the Holy Spirit because he whacked me. I didn't understand the Father God, and God spoke to me and broke my heart. I cried for three months. I understood the Father's heart. Because I longed for a father and I longed to be a good father. And I was scared I would not be. And God spoke to my heart. He said, I made you a father for fathers. I was a kid. I was young in the Lord. And look what he said to me. If you win the fathers, we, you win the families. If you win the families, you win the nation. I've got a big heart for young men that grow up to get married. I've got a heart for people that are already married. I've got a heart 
for fathers because you know what the greatest attack i did not know back then how much the attack on fatherhood would be and how attack on men would be but if we don't have strong fathers we don't have strong families and we lose the nation but god is raising up a generation of men to be men not little uh, yes we need to be sensitive about the things of god we need to be sensitive for one another i do things my father would never do he would never change it nappy but we do that we're a different generation but that doesn't take away your mate if you're an alpha male you're not a misogynist you're a man that will fight for his family and if we've got it wrong i've got it wrong many times god the father will help us because it's never too late in the spirit because god is the god of yesterday today and tomorrow and that came november 2002 i wept for three months and then he gave me that if there was a moment in time of my life if if i die tomorrow that's on my tombstone to know the father god and to reveal the father god if there's a time in my life where, when did God speak to you? Yeah, I had that encounter of God and God spoke to me many times. But that's my road of Damascus day. That's when Jesus appeared out of heaven, if you want to say. That's the day. That's never changed. Now, he's told me that's what he wants me to do. But now he ordains my steps. But if I come out of the body, I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to get devoured. And today is a day, no matter where you've come from, whether you've messed it up, or whether you are trying to get it right, doesn't matter. Because God is the restorer of everything. If Listen to me. I've, God's promised us that. You know why he's promised us that? Let me tell you why he's promised that. There's something about a father's. Now, I've been to the church a long time. And I'm seeing a revival happen. You know how I'm seeing the revival? I was sharing with Rabbis many a while back. And, and we were talking how families are coming to the Lord. See, I've seen many people come to the Lord. Either a parent, one would come. The husband would come and the wife wouldn't come. Or the wife would come and the husband wouldn't come. Or the kids would come and they wouldn't come. I've seen it all my life. And I've seen people come and go. So people stay and grow. But, you know, my heart's desire was families to come. And guess what God's showing me? That God's touching families. So not only one or two are coming, the whole family's coming. And if you have a spouse or a kid that's away from the Lord, don't stop believing. Don't stop praying. God's promised you salvation to your home. You've got to stand in faith. You've got to stand in truth. And you walk it out. Don't let them rob you of your walk. You keep walking it out. Why? God is faithful and just, and He will bring them home. Let me tell you, He'll bring them home. And listen to me. He'll bring them home. He's bringing His children home. Because he's standing at the door waiting for you to come home. But sometimes he needs us to walk. I guarantee you today, my wife and my kids would not be in church today if I didn't walk. They may have had a relationship, but they would have been devoured. No, no. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm saying, but I know for myself, if I don't take the stand and walk, they wouldn't be in church today. And if you're a wife here that's got a husband away, or if you've got a, listen to me, stand that God's got your back. If your husband's not taking care of you, God's taking care of you. But honor him, love him, or, or, or husbands, love your wife, honor them. But guess what? Stand in the Father's presence, go into the sheep pen, and let him anoint your head with oil. It's never too late. I've seen miracles on top of miracles. I've seen a guy committing adultery every day on his wife, taking drugs every day. He even went on a holiday to Europe and snuck in drugs. If they got caught, they all go to jail. And that guy's a pastor today leading people to the Lord. God has not finished with the church. God has not finished with families. God has not finished with your community and your family. God loves you. And he wants you to stand. If no one else stands, stand yourself. If you fall, get up and keep walking. The Bible says the righteous fall seven times and they get up eight. Come on, somebody. Can we stand? Come on. Don't, don't hang where you are. Don't believe that's it. That's not it. I come to the Lord. I got that vision, that, 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 that uh, instruction. 
And I went for 10 years of hell financially. Did it change anything? No. Was it hard? Yeah. Did I go through the valley of shadow? Absolutely. Absolutely. You might get a bad report, sickness. You might get a bad report. But listen to me. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying, I'm saying it's doable. And God's going to restore your life. Whether she comes or she doesn't. But God spoke to my heart and says, you keep following me. Keep your eyes on me. And God will bring things to pass. Look upon Jesus. Don't waver. He loves you. God's doing a work in you, brother. I just came and dropped in my spirit to share that with you. He hasn't finished with you either. You haven't even touched what God's going to get you to do. You've got so much to do. If you understood that, if God was to tell you what he wants from you, you would run. But he wants you to stay firm and love him. This exterior, he wants you to use it for him. I used to fight. I used to have this macho image. God got me and broke me. He says, now that fight is for me. How do we fight in the spirit? God's called you. And you're faithful to him. You're too hard on yourself. Get the image of how you should be and what you need to be. You just be you. Let him love you. While you're in his presence, he can do amazing things in your life. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uncle. God wants to stay there. Just receive from God. <laughs>